0: Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. This is Stephen Luna, the lead pastor. I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening, and I hope you find that this inspires you in your relationship with Christ. Now here's this week's sermon. Man, there's so many, like, Easter eggs in that one video. I was, I'm the kind of nerd that whenever Star Wars releases a new trailer or when the Avengers, when they had Endgame, when they release a trailer and they would give you like these teases, I'd be looking at everything frame by frame by frame, just trying to find something. And if you were the kind of nerd that I am and you did that to that video, you would just find things and if you and you and freeze frame stuff. So maybe we'll put it on Instagram or Facebook or something or YouTube and just like let you guys do that. But uh, man, I am so excited about what we're doing. We are in this series called Rebranded, where we've been taking a look at the moments in time where God God transformed somebody, and with that transformation of purpose came a transformation of identity. Whenever God changed someone from the inside, there was usually a physical change as well. Last week, we looked at a guy by the name of Peter. Everybody say, Peter. Peter wasn't always Peter, he was once Simon. Simon was a guy who grew up with Jesus, or grew up in the same region as Jesus, and he grew up as a, as a good uh, Jewish young boy. And eventually Jesus came, took a hold of his life, and said, Hey, you're gonna follow after me. He's like, absolutely, let's go. Uh, something happened in this incredible story of Simon. When Christ brought him to what we know, what we call the, the gates of hell in Caesarea Philippi, he asks some there, and he says, This, hey Peter, hey disciples, all 12 of you who do people say that I am? And some are given the, the, the answers to that. And then finally, he personifies this or personalizes it, and he looks to, to the disciples, eye, looks them in the eye and says this, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter, a guy who was, or Simon, a guy who was known for putting his foot in his mouth, had diarrhea of the mouth, just would say whatever would, would come to mind, and it got him in trouble a couple of times, but here was the one time, some of you are laughing because you know that's you, but <laughs> he, 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 he starts getting to this place where he's like, gets so just bolstered by faith, and he's, and he's bold, and he's like, you are the Messiah. You are the savior of the world. You are the son of the living God, and he's making these confessions, and we hear this, and we're like, oh yeah, that's cool, but you have to understand that in the context, that was the first time anybody else made a profession that big about Jesus, Everybody else was like, yeah, he's, he's a good teacher, he's a good philosopher, he's, he's a miracle worker, he, he, he's probably a, a prophet, he's certainly a prophet, but but to be the Messiah, the one who was called to save the world, I mean, that is a, a huge title, and here is Peter, Simon rather, making that profession, and Jesus looks at him and says, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't find this on some Reddit post and and, read and found about it, like you, this was discovered, this was unveiled to you by not by flesh, not by blood, not by skin, but by God. And he said, You, Simon, by your confession, your profession of faith, you are no longer Simon, you are now Peter the rock, which that's what Peter stands for. So he gave him the people's eyebrow, and he did, no, he didn't, he didn't do that, but that would have been sweet. But he said, you are the rock, and on this faith I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I mean, he's telling them, like, like this kind of faith is, is transformative, you are now transformed. Your game has been changed, and now with that game change is now a name change started looking up some different sports this past week, uh, different sports that had, diff- had names pri- prior to the names that we now know them as. Has anyone ever heard of the sport called kitten ball? Kitten ball. It was a it's actually a sport that is now known as softball, right? Uh, it used to be called kitten ball. Why was it called kitten ball? Because they had cats that would play the no, no. The reason why it was called kitten ball is because before they decided to put leather around the ball. Because have you ever taken apart a softball? You notice how it's all of this yarn and, and it's it's bound together. Well, they used to not have leather. They started off, they take a baseball, and you know, anybody see the inside of a baseball without leather, it's a core and then it's round up or it's bound up by by these like ropes and strands. And stuff so they would take this and they would keep going until it was a larger ball and they would hit it and oftentimes it would look like a ball of yarn and they called it kitten ball because kittens are cute and they play with yarn right so uh so actually kittens aren't that cute i i like dogs but let's keep going um so they called it Kittenball until they transformed the name to what we know it as softball. They put the leather on, and uh, it was 1926 in the, y- in the YMCA in Denver, and they decided to transform the name, change the name, because the game was changed, because they changed some of the rules. They changed the game, and therefore, it brought a name change. They, they went from Kittenball to softball. Has anyone ever heard of the sport called Mittenett? Mittenett. It's a game that. Uh, how about badminton? Anyone ever hear of badminton? Well, around the same time that that badminton was gaining popularity, there was another sport that was coming out called basketball. Anybody know basketball? Basketball has always been basketball because it always always played with a basket and a ball, Uh, so we never changed that. But but was a game where the elderly in a certain YMCA in Massachusetts decided to say we want to play a new sport too, but we don't want to play basketball because it's not good on the knees. So there was a rec leader there at a YMCA in in Massachusetts by the name of William Morgan, and he decided in 1896 to take the basketball that they were using to play basketball, and he decided to take. Net that they were using for badminton, and he put it up, and he said, "We're going to play a different form of uh, badminton. We're going to call it mittenette, mittenette." Eventually the game takes popularity, it starts exploding. They have mitten net tournaments all over the place. I mean, it's crazy how, how fast this game of Mitt-Net explodes. And then eventually someone realizes that the, the basketball that they're hitting over the net is is kind of looking like a cannon getting volleyed or a cannonball getting volleyed out of a cannon. So they changed the name to volley ball. The game was changed, and therefore with the game change came a name change. But where do we get the name? soccer. And all of my international friends said hallelujah, amen, because we don't get it. They don't get it. Uh, It's called football, right? Like around the world, around the entire world, they call this game football. But then it makes its way to a a beautiful country like America, and we decide to call it soccer. I I looked up. uh, This is something that has bothered me since I was a kid. I finally did some research a couple, or last week, and I realized that it actually is derived from the term association football, because in England, uh, where it started, where it technically was, those are some fight words around some of the places, but in England, where it started gaining popularity, they called it association football. Even to this day, the FA is still around, the football association. So they started calling it association football, and some Englishmen there took the abbreviation of association, A-S-S-O-C and they just took the S-O-C and started calling it soccer and so it started in England they started calling it soccer in England first we get wind of that in the United States so we just call it soccer and then by the time it's no longer called soccer they're like no we just call it football now they're angry at us and now we have soccer and football. I got a video I want to show you about this little conundrum (laughs) this is a perfect time to say let's go Chiefs Come on, Super Bowl champs, oh my goodness. See, this this wouldn't have landed last week, everybody would have been offended, they would have got up and walked out, but it lands this week because we're already world champs, like there's nothing to say about it. Man, I'm so excited, dude, this is so great. You know why they won, right? Because we were praying and fasting. (laughs) That's what I've been telling everybody. So Mahomes, if you ever hear this message, you're welcome, it's uh, it's all because of us. When God changes your game, he changes your name, unless that game is soccer, in which case we don't know why it, it ever changed, but it did. Uh, when God changes the game, he changes your name. And how many of you know that to be true, that in your life, when God began to transform you, when he took you from where you once were, how you assumed a different identity, you used to behave a certain way and act a certain way and say certain things and, and think certain things, and, and then God came in and he invaded a space and he transformed formed you, and you took on a completely different identity. When God changes the game, he also changes the name. I am proof of that very thing. I am a witness. I'm here to tell you that when God changed my life, he completely revolutionized who I was. When he changed uh, the things that I did, he changed my identity. When he changed my form, he, he changed my function. When he changes the game, he changes the name. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and I grew up in a, in a position where, where I, although I had great uncles, I had a amazing grandfather. I did not grow up with a dad and some for some reason I decided to surround myself with male figures that were not the ones that you would want to surround yourself, that you would not want a teenager to hang out with. So I naturally adopted out of just disgust and frustration and, and really just rebellion, I decided to adopt their, their their lifestyle. I was a person who, by the time I was 11 years old, I already had my first drug deal. I didn't even know it was a drug deal. Someone gave me a bag. They said, Stand in the corner and, and just wait for a car to pull up, put this in their window, and then they'll give you some cash. You can keep one of the bills. And I'm like, Deal, I'll take the hundred, right? So, so literally, by 11 years old, my first drug deal, I, Continued this on until high school. I was a violent individual. Many would have considered me a a bully. Uh, I'm no longer a bully now. I tell my wife these stories and she's like, You used to fight? You can't fight. I beat you up all the time. I'm like, Katie, I know. It's just Jesus. Jesus did this, right? So 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 I, like so so God, He He completely transformed my life. But but I was going down this path where I was, I mean, I was just angry at a chip on my shoulder, and I, I was arrogant and prideful, and I was violent and, and I was dealing drugs, and, and I thought like the, the, the whole goal of life was to have as many people fear me as possible. I mean, it was it was a really, really sad situation. And I was honestly, I was just angry, I was hurt. I get in some trouble, and my family is forced to move out of Chicago. In fact, that's why some people say, "Didn't you leave Chicago?" Yeah, we leave, we left Chicago because I got us in trouble, so we had to move our house. And that's a whole other story. But we moved from our house. We moved to to north, or northeast or northwest Indiana, and uh, eventually, uh, I, I started getting absolutely lonely. My friends told me, "Hey, we'll go visit you sometimes." This and that. Literally, only 45 minutes away from from city limits, uh, we I, we get to this northwest or northeast Indiana, and Nobody comes and visits, I call, nobody answers, and I go through this very, just deep and dark depression. Because in Chicago, I I didn't realize this, I thought I was a part of a family, I thought the gang that I belonged to, that we were family, but really I was just a cog in the machine to make other people rich, and and I, I started just going through a horrible depression. Uh, I, I contemplated suicide, I, I was reading all of these different, uh, these, these different books on religions, and I knew that there was something else out there, so I remember one night in particular, I, I went and I wheeled the, the garbage to the end of the driveway, because it was the first time we ever had a driveway, we grew up with alleys, we used to run them to the alley, and it was all lit, but this is the first time here in northwest Indiana where I roll this, this garbage can to the end of the, the driveway, and I look up, and for the first time, I see stars, You may be saying, what do you mean for the first time you see stars? Have you ever go out at night? Yeah, I used to, but you don't understand this unless you're living in the city that when you look up, you don't see stars. You can see the moon, but that's pretty much it. You don't get to see stars. There's so much what's called uh, light pollution. You just see um, too many lights that are dimming out the, the skylight. Uh, so eventually here in northwest Indiana where there were no street lights or anything of that sort, I would go out and, I, and I'm, I'm looking at these lights and, and I'm just broken in that moment and I'm just so frustrated with where I'm at. I fall to my knees out in this driveway and I just pray this prayer. I say, God, if you're even real, if you're even listening, I want to know you. I'm sick of the life that I'm living. I'm sick of the games that I'm playing. I want to know you. I pray that prayer, I wipe my eyes, I'm making sure no one saw me cry, throw the garbage out, run back inside, and go back to this just abyss of questioning and doubting and frustration and, and depression. A couple days later, the answer to that prayer is this curly-haired Puerto Rican kid who knocks on my door, and he's like, hey, uh, here to pick up my brother, Adam. He's, praying. he's playing with your brother, Eric. I'm like, oh, cool, man. Yeah, good, good to see you, good to meet you, yeah. He's like, hey, um, I don't know if you're interested, but uh, I go to this church, um, part of this youth group, and i just wondering if you, if you want to come uh, to church with me. And I just laugh. I'm like, church? No, thanks, dude. Like, like I only go to Christmas and Easter because then my mom, like, she'll I'll come home and there's tamales, right? Like, so, so no, thank you, right? Uh, so, so he's like, no, but you don't understand. It's not kind of the church that you're used to. And at this point, he knew that I grew up Catholic, and the kind of church that I I was used to was like Gregorian chants, like 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 a, kind of like the the loading screen to Halo, and. Um, so so he, he eventually like, no, that, that's, that's not what, what, what we do at our church. At our church, we, we've got, I mean, there's games and uh, there, there's girls. He knew exactly what I needed to hear to get to church. <laughs> games and girls. And I'm like, games and girls? I guess I can go with you. I'm like, I guess if you insist. So I, I go with him. We, we go to church and then... Uh, we get there, and, and he's part of the worship band. He's a great, he was a great kid, and he's part of the worship band. And I'm like, that's your, that's your music? Like, there's, it's a rock band. There's guitars and drums. Like, I grew up with an organ. Like, that lady can jam, dude. Uh, and he's like, no, this is, I mean, we, we have praise and worship. And so that was a little, it caught me off guard. First time I saw people worship, I'm like, oh, high fives all around. All right, cool. Right? Like, I had no idea what was going on. And, but eventually, we get to the part where, where the, the guy who gets up, who kind of looks like me, he gets up, and he starts speaking. And he's not just you know, boring and standing back there. He, I mean, he is just captivating me. And he tells me about someone I've heard my entire life. I, in the Catholic church, I heard about Jesus, but for the first time in my life, I hear about the gospel. I hear that I was, I, I'm dead in my sin, but I can experience life in Christ that there is a God who loves me, who is passionate for me, a God who came and took on flesh and, and became just like me and, and realized that I would always fail, that apart from him I could do nothing and that I needed Jesus. And I hear this gospel and I'm just grabbing a hold of my seat and, and eventually he, he says if anybody wants to come forward to pray, I'd, I'd love to pray with you. And I run to this altar and I'm crying and eventually I realized something. I went to that to that event, I went to that, to that uh, house, that church for the purpose of wanting games and girls and I walked out with Neither. Instead, I walked out not wanting to play games and I grabbed a hold of the gospel. I grabbed a hold, actually, God was the one who grabbed a hold of me. God still transforms. I went from being hateful to healed. I went from being ashamed to amazed. I went from being uh, resentful to to, uh, unresisting towards the gospel. I went from someone who was completely sexualized to someone that was saved. I went from someone who was held hostage to sin to someone who was held by God. And I'm here to tell you that when you allow God to change the game, he will change the name. We see this time and time in scripture. There is a guy by the name of Saul who eventually adopted and embraced the name Paul? Everybody say Paul. Paul. Now I want to give you some context about the the first century church or the first century culture in the ancient Near East. Everybody had two names. They had a name of their people and then they had a name that was given to them by Rome. Now, Rome owned or had conquested over 20% of the world population. I mean, that, that is a, a figure you can't even comprehend. The United States alone, we only make up like 4%, not even 4% of the world population. Rome had 20% of the world population at that time. I mean, they were an empire and they discovered something. They learned something from the Assyrians and the Babylonians that you can't just conquest people and force them to look like you because as, as, as long and as wide as your empire gets, it becomes difficult to regulate. So Rome started, initiated something else. They would come in and take over, but they would give you the illusion of freedom. They would say, you can still worship your gods, but you're also going to worship ours too. And you could still have your kings, but they're going to be answerable to Caesar. And you could still speak your language, but you could only conduct business in Greek or Roman. So they started doing something. You could keep your names, but you will also have a Roman name. Now, this kind of conquest would work in most nations and most countries that were, were taken over by Rome, because Rome actually, although they did conquest, they did bring in some, some safety and some regulation and trade. And they, I mean, for, by and large, Rome, the conquest of Rome, uh, some could argue was a, was a good thing for, for the extension of uh, or the, the, the unity of people. But this was not a good thing for Israel. Why? Because the Israelites were the people of God. They were told from the very beginning they were the first group of people that were monotheistic, only one God, and you serve him alone. Everyone else was polytheistic. They were pagan. They, they could serve other gods, so they, it meant nothing. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep serving Baal and Dagon and Molech, and we'll, yeah, we'll go ahead. Artemis, tack them on. Hermes, try to bring them over. Right? They were okay with taking on a smorgasbord of gods, but, but the Israelites said, we only worship one God. And, and, and the names that we've been given are names that that speak honor to God. And the names that you give us are, are, are things that we don't agree with. We don't, we don't jive with this too well. So I'm here to tell you that it was normative. Saul, who we read about in scripture, was always, always called Paul. He always had the name Paul. But here's something interesting. If you were a good Jew, you fought back against that. You would embrace your Hebrew name, and you would be ashamed of your Roman name. It's kind of like if anybody today has a nick or has a middle name, they don't want anybody to know, right? You're like, oh, don't, don't call me by my middle name, right? In fact, I don't even have one. I do have a, I'm like the only Mexican in the world that doesn't have like six names, but I, for some reason, and actually the name that I, I have, Stephen, everybody knows me as Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, that's not even my real name. My real name is actually Estefan. I was named after Gloria Estefan. A incredible Cuban singer and dancer, but um, yeah, so Estefan is my real name, but I don't tell many people that, because it's kind of like, you know, the, 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 the Hebrews, the Jews, they'd like have their Hebrew name, and then they would be ashamed of their Roman name. I'm kind of ashamed of being named after Gloria Estefan, but I'll take it, because my wife calls me that. Uh, but if you were a good Jew, you would still take your names, but you would mainly embrace your Hebrew name, and this is why The Jews, if you ever ask yourself, why do the Jews hate the Samaritans? This was part of the reason. Because the Samaritans were Jewish by blood, but not by culture. They were quick to embrace the other nations that came in and invaded. They were quick to embrace the other gods. They would say, yeah, we still worship God, but we have other gods. So worse than than a, a Gentile, what's a Gentile? A Gentile, the Jews used this term, Gentile. It was the Jews and then everybody else. So if you were a Jew, you were a Jew. But if you were anything other than a Jew, you were a Gentile. But if you were a Samaritan, you were a half-Jew and a half-Gentile. And a half-breed is worse than someone who is far off in the eyes of a Jew in, in Jewish first-century culture. So what happened here? This is, why that, this is why the Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. But, but if you were a good Jew, you did not embrace. Or you recognized that you had a Roman name, but you only embraced your Hebrew name. If you were a great Jew, however... If you were a great jew you were somebody who despised rome and despised anybody who is not a jew and i say great in parentheses there because that's not the heart of god elitism and nationalism is not the heart of god but here we see the, the the great jews the jews that are very zealous they say we can't stand rome In fact, some of them, if you ask yourself where we get this word zealous from or zeal, it actually is derived from the term zealot, a group of people that existed in the first century that would live out in the wilderness and would attack Roman soldiers as they were making their descent into Jerusalem. That's where we get the word zealous from or zeal from. But this is why, here is why the Jews hated Jesus. Because when Jesus came, they wanted, they thought the Messiah, when he was making claims that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world, they wanted to put a, a Make Israel Great Again hat on, on Jesus and, and, and parade him into Jerusalem. I'm not even kidding. Like they, they, they wanted the Messiah to be someone that was only gonna make Israel great and, and that if you weren't uh, for Israel, then you were a horrible person. And Jesus was saying, I, I, I'm not gonna wear this Make Israel Great Again hat. I, I wanna wear a hat that says, Make the world gods again. I, I'm, here, I'm here to save the world. It's not just about one nation or one country. It's about making the world God's. It's about redeeming all of his children. All of the nations belong to God, and the Jews despise that. And they would go back to the scriptures, and they would bring up these passages that we read about, like Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where it says, the Lord is giving this promise to Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, and I I will curse those who curse you. But the next sentence is absolutely pivotal, and Jesus would always bring it up. And the point is here, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. So God's number one objective in in setting up Abraham and setting up the kingdom of Israel, does he love Israel? Absolutely. But the whole purpose was that through Israel and through one person, Jesus, the blessing would go out into the entire world. In Genesis 22, we see this. I will surely bless you, Israel, or Abraham, and I will multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will possess the gates of their enemies. And they would say this. It was actually a chant that the zealots would say as as the Romans would march in, we're going to possess your gates, we're going to possess your gates. And, And they would say this all the time. But the next verse is absolutely pivotal. Jesus would rely on this. And through your offspring, singular, is he talking about Jesus and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice God's number one objective for Israel was that through Israel we would receive Jesus now I don't I'm not too sure but as I look around I see a bunch of Gentiles if it wasn't for Jesus and you're like no it's pastor I'm a Jew that's great but if it wasn't for Jesus we would not be into the fold of God we would not be in the arms of God Jesus was that purpose. In fact, here, God's plan was never to exclusively express love for one nation. Notice, it was never, God, God's plan was never to only exclusively express love for one nation, but through one nation and finally through one person, Jesus, express love for all the world. This is the plan of God. It was always the plan of God. And if you think about Israel, Jesus would, or God would oftentimes say to them, why are you guys so proud of yourselves? You were nothing until I stepped in. Abraham and Sarah, you could not even have children until I came in and, and allowed you to produce until I, I made you. You were nothing. You, I was the one who made this so that I could bless the world, so that I could reach the entire world. I came in and made everything. I, I took nothing and I made something. i have been doing that from the very beginning and just so that I could give you Jesus. And the Jews struggled with this, and no one more than Paul or Saul. In fact, when Saul talks about himself, he says a couple of things. We see this. Saul says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Zealous, that word zeal. In Philippians 3, 5 to 6, we see Paul say this of himself. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which was a custom of the Jews, uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as to righteous under the law, I mean, he's literally bringing up this list of if there is anybody who could boast about being a great Jew, it would have been me. It would have been my former self. Before I met Jesus, I was a zealous Jew. I was persecuting the church. The church preached that everybody could come to God, but I was persecuting that and saying if they wanted to come to God, they had to first become a Jew, Uh, We see this in in Acts chapter 26, verse uh, 9. We see Paul say this. So then I, Saul, too, was convinced that I ought to do all I could to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Saul was a great Jew in his mind because he hated Jesus who preached a gospel that says, I am the way. You see, Paul understood something. If anybody, or he thought something, if anybody wanted to come to God, they had to first become a Jew. But Jesus preached a contrary message and said this, if anybody wants to come to God, they have to first come to me. There's no other obstacle. There's no other way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. It's not become a Jew and then come to Jesus. No, it is come to me, and I will bring you to God. I mean, just a a beautiful, beautiful uh, message there. Why do I bring this up? is I'm here to tell you that the church God is rebranding us as is a church that exists for all nations. Now, we've been doing a great job about that. I feel like this church, hands down, is probably one of the most international churches I've ever been a part of. But can I just say that as God is moving us forward, I want everything we say, everything we do, the name that we we hold to, the name that defines us to be, to say that that we are a church that exists for all nations. We're not a black church. We're not a Hispanic church. We're not a white church. We're not an Asian church. We are a church that exists for all people. Why? Because that was the heart of Jesus I want to give you an example really quick. In Matthew 23, many of you remember this part in scripture where, where Christ is going in uh, as he's making his triumphant entry into Jerusalem and, he's, and he gets to the temple and he's just disgusted and he's flipping over tables and he's pulling out like a whip and he's whipping people. Like, I mean, it's just a crazy story. Uh, many of you have used that to justify uh, whipping your kids. You're like, if Jesus did it, I'm going to flip tables and whip. Like, that, that's, that's horrible, horrible hermeneutics. Don't do that. Um, But but anyway, Jesus is going in there, and and I want to read this passage to you, but I want to read it in a light that maybe you have not been accustomed to, but in Matthew 23, verse 12 through 15, let's read this really quick. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables uh, of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, we read that, and we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Everything you've been taught, or we've been taught is that Jesus is flipping tables because they should have been praying and instead of praying, playing, they, they were turning the temple into like, like a Las Vegas slot machine. Like it was a horrible thing and, and really, really, let's be honest, if we get into the culture, this is not what Jesus, why Jesus is upset. He's not upset that there are transactions happening in the temple. Uh, he's not upset that there's kids running on the pews. The reason why Jesus is upset is because the Jews had set something up. Whenever somebody who was, was not a living in Jerusalem would come and make their way to the temple, they would come using the money of the region that they were in. They would come bring in the animals of the region that they, were, they lived in. And the Jews had set up a booth and said, you could only use Jewish currency and you could only use Jewish animals. And they would make these exchanges there. The reason why Jesus was upset, we get a better context when we read this passage in its context. And look at Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, where we see the prophet Isaiah. Jesus was actually prophesying here, but look what he says. 500 years before, the Isaiah said this, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all. Why was Jesus upset? Because the Jews were creating obstacles for the world to come to Jesus, to come to God. They're saying you have to use the, the, the currency of, of, of the Jews and the currency of the temple and pay the tax and, and make sure you have the right animals. And how many times do we, do we do this in churches where we're saying you're gonna dress the right way, you're gonna look the right way, you gotta play the right thing, you better believe the right things, you better be voting for the right party before you can step foot. And in reality is Jesus would be flipping tables and saying, hey, don't make obstacles for people to come to me, let them come. And he's flipping tables, and this is why he's getting upset. Jesus' heart is for the nations. Church folk and Pharisees are great at making obstacles for people to come to God. And Jesus is saying, I mean, some of us can be like sauce sometimes. We're like, if you want to come to God, you got to start acting like a good Christian first. And Jesus is saying, if you want to come to God, you need to come to me. He has a heart for the nations. He has a heart for the people. He has a heart for every side of the political aisle. Christ has a heart For everyone. In fact, this is the mission that he gives us, the church. Look what he says in Matthew 28. He says, then Jesus came to them. This is as he's ascending into heaven, the final words of Jesus. And he says this. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Everything. Every authority has been given to me. Therefore, with my authority, go and make disciples, make followers of mine, of all nations of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' heart is to reconcile all people to God. Every color, every creed, every single person, male and female. And yet Saul, before he became Paul, struggled with this until he was on this Damascus road. And I believe tonight, today, the Lord is going to have a Damascus road encounter with many of us. Look what happens on this road to Damascus. So Saul, a Jew of Jews a, a, uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, which, by the way, his name Saul was actually the, the, the name of the first king of Israel, so he was very, very proud of that name Saul, the, the Hebrew, the Jewish tradition, the, the lineage, the, the, the heritage and history it came with. But here we see him having a changed heart. As he neared Damascus on his journey, where was he going? He was going up north to grab Christians, bring them back to the temple, and to either put them in prison or to eventually execute them. But he's on this journey, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and and then he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by hand into Damascus and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. It was ironic that that the one who thought he knew the truth and could see all truth was actually blinded And his physical blindness was a mirror of what was happening in his heart. And Christ was trying to teach him a lesson. that you don't know everything, Saul. You think you can see clearly, but you don't. So the Lord spoke at the same time to another guy by the name of Ananias. And he said, Ananias, I want you to go and help, who wasn't, by the way, a Jew. Uh, He was a Gentile. He said, I want you to go help Paul or Saul. And look what it says about him here. When, when Ananias heard this, he said, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So the Lord was transforming Saul and was saying, You are going to be the one that reaches those that you despise you want to talk about the lord changing someone's game he went from arresting anybody who professed to even be uh, someone who cared about the jews or a christian or the gentiles rather and here we see him saying you're going to be my minister to them like this is a beautiful transformation so saul has this calling on his life to be a missionary to the nations but he has one issue His name is Saul, and at this point, they know that most Jews despise Gentiles. Saul's a very strong Jewish name at the time. So what does Saul do? He decides to embrace the name Paul. He allows the game that was changed to change his name. He's like, if I'm gonna be successful in the ministry and the missionary efforts that God is leading me on, I've got to be willing to part from the things that I hold near and dear in order to accomplish the mission God has called me to. I will embrace the name Paul. And from Paul, we read every single one of his New Testament epistles. He goes by the name of Paul. In fact, even as you read through the book of Acts, you see that from Acts 1 all the way to chapter 13, Saul is known as Saul. But then in chapter 13, he goes to becoming Paul. And I want to read this for you really quick. Now, in the church at Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey, so a couple hundred miles north of Jerusalem, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. We never see him called Saul again after Acts chapter 13, verse 9. He completely assumes the identity of Paul. Now, when he goes back to Jerusalem, he's okay with Saul. But whenever he steps out of of anywhere near Jerusalem or amongst the Jews, he says, I'm Paul, because he understands something. God has called me to a mission and I will assume any identity that I need in order to accomplish the mission God has called me to. I will set aside my preferences. I will set aside my own desires in order to accomplish the mission God has called me to. We see him even say this, and this is where I I end this morning. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says this, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. And he adds this caveat. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ, which is a higher law, a law of, uh, of love, a law of holiness, a law of righteousness. Uh, he's like, I, I, don't, I don't set aside all things and act like a Gentile and, and you know, say the things that they say or do the things they do, but, but I set aside the, the Jewish law so that nothing could, could stop the gospel from being Proclaimed. But what he says in verse 22 is key. He says, Yes, I try to find common ground. Everybody say common ground. Something that we are lacking in our culture today. We're so quick to jump to our political positions and our philosophies. And if someone disagrees, we just unfriend them on Facebook, unfollow them on Instagram, completely write them off. I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. And if there's anything the church needs today, it needs to be full of men and women whose first primary objective isn't how can I hold on to the amendments that I've been afforded or the freedoms that I have, those are great. We live in a great country. I'm not trying to, I, I, I know I preach a great message when I've got people from both the left and the right saying, Pastor, what, it, it, this was horrible. Well, it was, it was the gospel. Uh, I'm trying to convey something this morning, and it's this. Our primary objective must be the gospel of Jesus. That is what has power to transform. I love this nation. We're blessed in this country. Constitution that we have, incredible document, most revolutionary document uh, in, in, in any uh, government that we've ever seen and on the planet. I mean, it's, it's incredible. But I don't pledge allegiance to a document. I, my allegiance belongs to Jesus. That doesn't mean I'm disrespectful and I'm a tyrant or no, I'm not rebellious because Christ tells us to submit ourselves to the law in the countries that we live in. But Jesus is, is my focus. And my prayer this morning is that we would learn to make that our focus. And when we see Jesus say that his church would be a church comprised of all nations, that we would ask ourselves, how willing are we and how far are we willing to go to make that a reality? Now, I'm not just talking diversity for the sake of being diverse, That's a humanistic philosophy. I'm talking about, Lord, give us your heart. Give me a heart for the people. You may be saying to yourself right now, Pastor, I'm not racist. I love people. And and I'm, I'm saying here, I know you're not racist. I know you love people. But the Holy Spirit's job isn't to stop us short of racism. It's to get us further, saying, How can I reach as many people as possible? Every color, every creed, every country, every ethnicity. How can I reach more and more people? And yes, I have personal preferences and color, and uh, colors to wear, obviously, uh, but, but clothing and, and music and, and so on and so forth. Like, I have personal preferences, but, but the reality is this that, that God's desire is for me to, to set aside any personal preferences I have and say, How can I reach as many as possible? this is where God is changing our church. We've always been that way, but now we're going to declare that to the world. The new name that we are assuming and that we are going to receive is going to be a name that speaks clearly that we are a church that exists for all nations. Now, no, our church isn't going to be all nations church, but it's going to be close. It's going to be close. I want to end with reading this value that our church has had that I put on paper a couple of years ago when it actually sits on the wall in the wing out front but it's it's the value of all nations and it reads this way it says we strive to be a snapshot of heaven every tribe every language and every nation we believe the church is better when all of God's children gather under one roof that's when we become God's mosaic masterpiece it's a mosaic. It's a bunch of broken and jagged pieces that normally have no function and operation that are pieced together to become a beautiful tapestry. And my prayer is that we would be that. And we invite everyone in. Now, what can we do? My first thing is this pray for the nations. Wichita, guys, is so diverse. It's so diverse. Listen, I'm from, I'm from Chicago, but you have to go miles from where, where I lived. I didn't meet my first uh, Caucasian person until I went to high school. I'm not even kidding. That's just the way it was. I don't know why I said Caucasian. I should have just said white. That's kind of weird. But anyway, I didn't have my first white friend until high school. I grew up in a community of all Hispanics and some black people, they were on the other side of the tracks. It was, they, people say that sh- Chicago is a melting pot. It is, di- it is diverse, but it is segregated. Wichita is way more diverse than Chicago was. I got a corner from me, uh, an Asian, uh, a guy from uh, Malaysia, and then across the street from me is, is, is actually this older white gentleman who doesn't really like me. Um, always wears headphones. Every time I wave at him, I roll down. I have to make him wave at me. But I, we... we We are very diverse here, and I want our church to represent that. And it has, and it does, but I want us to, in 2020, going forward, I want us to do an even greater job than we've ever done in the past. I want us to reach internationals, which is why the ministry of Chi Alpha is so important. Our ministry to uh, Wichita State University is so important, because on the campus of WSU, we have so many international students. The nations are coming here for the gospel. And then we can send them out and reach as many people as possible with the message of Jesus. How does it start? Open up our eyes. Lord, help me see. Maybe if if someone in here does struggle with feelings of, of racism, or man, bring that to the Lord. Have them change your heart. But begin to pray, God, give me an eye. Give me eyes for the nations. Give me eyes for all people. Every color, every creed, every position, every worldview. May may I not be the kind of person that shuts the door in conversation to someone simply because they don't believe in the things I believe in. Help me to love Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this is our desire. We know that when you change the game, you change a name, that you completely transformed and revolutionized Saul And that led to him embracing the name Paul so that he could reach as many people as possible. And God, I pray that as we are navigating ourselves towards a rebrand where we too will assume a name that that helps us reach as many people as possible, I pray that it would first begin with, with me. That it would first begin in this house. That we would ask ourselves the difficult questions of what can I do to be more concerned with the world around me? Father, help us to have difficult conversations. We are living in some very toxic times. We're on one whim. Someone is willing to close the door of conversation and just walk out. But I pray that the church would be different, that we would love people, that we would extend belonging, that we would have conversation, and that we would be patient because you've been patient with us. Father, I pray... That we would be that church. That we would become your mosaic masterpiece. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Can you thank the Lord this morning that he loves us, he cares for us. guys, thanks so much for coming today. I uh, mean, I'm, I'm praying that God uses us, that this week he gives you an opportunity to strike up conversation with someone you never thought possible. Uh, but let's pray, God, send us to the nations. Send us to the nations. We want to reach all people for you. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. And that wraps up today's message, but we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at MWCWichita.com. That's MWCWichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.